0: Hello, and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Trey Scott, and we are joined by Jerry Meyer, college basketball's all-time career assist king. Jerry, signing day, signing period, has come, and it, it has gone. And we've got a return of the Blue Bloods. We've got Kentucky at the top in the 2020 class. Kentucky, actually, it was sort of fun to have some signing period movement which was uh, courtesy of Devin Askew, reclassifying and right. all that and, and getting a bump. And so Kentucky bumps Duke. And then after that, we've so we've got Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. We've got Tennessee, NC State. We're going to dive into all of that. Uh, first, I uh, want to ask you guys to to leave us a five-star rating, drop us a review. Um, if you have anything you'd love for us to talk about, you can certainly enlist those questions in the review section, this is the the twenty four seven Sports College Basketball Show, and as a year winds on, we will focus in more on college hoops. Right now, it's sort of hard to to look at a Monday night or a Tuesday night landscape and say, yeah, we we could talk about two hundred things, right? right. We could talk about Florida being a disappointment or Kentucky really struggling or that there's been three number one. So, we'll get to all of that as the season wears on, and by the time you know February and March rolls around, we'll be doing this two times a week talking college hoops. Until then, today. It's a recruiting episode. And Jerry, when you look at Kentucky's class, number one in 2020, it's no stranger for John Calipari to be up there. What stands out to you the most?
1: Uh, They got some long, skinny guys. (laughs) Terrence Clark, Isaiah Jackson, uh, Lance Ware. Very, very good players, but just long and lanky. Um, That stands out. I think Devin Askew is a great point guard. Kentucky fans are going to love him. He has something dynamic to his game, but yet something so sort of old school, balanced, and almost seems at times you think he's too under control. You know, like, let's go, let's go. And you might, or you might even not think he's the quickest guy, but great change of pace, and he does have a burst. Uh, He just plays a a real mature game. And and I'm a big fan of Cameron Fletcher. Um, Just. Such a versatile guy, that uh, sort of the modern-day quintessential swingman, six-six small forward who can <clears throat> do a little bit of everything. What I do not see uh, in this five-man class right now is a lot of beef inside. You know, real, real thin guys, but athletic, skilled, and guys with upside. Lance Ware, I think, is really just hitting his stride as a prospect. Um, Isaiah Jackson as well. He reminds me a little bit of Jordan Bell, who played at Oregon, and just kind of freakish athletically. And then they got a superstar in Terrence Clark.
0: Yeah, Clark is number four in the country according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. It feels like he's sort of been slept on when we talk about you know, nationally top recruits. We talk about Cade Cunningham a ton, mm-hmm. I guess, because his recruitment just wrapped up. We talk about Evan Mobley. We talk about Jalen Green. Will, will he go pro or go to college? Terrence Clark, though, kind of just sitting there at number four. It's a guy on our 24-7 sports profile who you compared to Josh Jackson for what it's worth.
1: Yeah, he's got some um, – I was thinking R.J. Barrett, too – Um, Josh is not a bad one either. He's a better ball handler probably than Josh. That's kind of why I like the R.J. Barrett comparison a little better. Or at least right now that makes sense. Like if we could fuse the two, I don't know if it's necessarily better. Part of that is he came out of the 2021 class, so he reclassed up. Maybe that's one reason there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about him, but he's a do-everything player. Plays with energy, you know – He should very easily be a
0: one-and-done guy. Lottery pick. We'll move on to Duke, number two, the Blue Devils. The class is headlined by Jalen Johnson, the number six player in the 24-7 Sports Composite. In all, they have three composite, five stars. This is sort of... You know, it's a... I I guess sometimes when I think about Duke's recruiting, I guess I was spoiled by the 2018 class of Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish. And, you know, this past year's class was great. And... The Duke's playing well right now, but it's you know I don't know. did, did any of these guys jump out to you as immediate game-breaking superstars?
1: Uh, Game break game-breaking superstars? No, I mean there's not a Zion or RJ Barrett. Um, but I like the class looking at it. But yeah, it doesn't have that star power, sex appeal. Oh, this is a guy I've been hearing about for the last couple years. Um, Jalen Johnson, very good, but. Not the best shooter, and that just always makes you a little nervous. That's not good for Duke. Well, because he can do a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's his, you know, the one weakness. And not a long-range shooter, but man, can he handle the ball and pass at 6'8". Very skilled player. I'm really looking forward to Jeremy Roach. and He is tough, as nails. I think he'll take over the point guard spot, uh, you know, assuming – Trey Jones. Trey, Trey Jones, thank you, leaves. Tough yeah. player, physical. Reminds me of Kyle Lowry. Roach ranks as the number three point guard in yeah. the class. I, I think he'll be college ready. I, I just love his demeanor, his toughness, his leadership. And then, kind of opposite of Kentucky, um, Duke brought in some guys with some strength and beef. You know, not quite as long and skinny and athletic as uh, the Kentucky guys. With uh, Henry Coleman, he's a beast. You know, a little undersized, but really tough. Uh, Brakefield has good size. Brakefield can also play on the wing, some. And then Mark Williams, he loves to bang, tough guy, and uh, you know seven footer, so he's got some length. But more physical type
0: players, if you want to compare him to the Kentucky big guys. North and these are big classes. Six guys yeah, in they Kentucky, are. Yeah. six guys in Duke, Reloading. five guys for North Carolina. Yeah, it's sort of, I guess, it's one of those years for each of the programs where you have to get a lot, a lot in North Carolina. Man, that's a good-looking class, and you know they were number nine last year. As Roy Williams, as the NCAA is you know, taking North Carolina out of its crosshairs, mm-hmm. Roy Williams has been able to pursue five-star talents, and this this class is heavy on them. You've got three guys, and Walker Kessler, and Dayron Sharp, and and Caleb Love, and, and two centers here. That's a rare. I wonder the last time we saw a, a class with two five-star yeah. centers in it. That is a good point because it's it's. – I'm not saying
1: those two uh, – Sharp and Kessler cannot play together, but it's a little tough to envision. I mean you – know, Can either Kessler can, there? Step, Kessler can step out and shoot. Okay. He's kind of like a stretch five, you know, to use that term, like a stretch center. But defensively, it would be very difficult. They're both, you know, five-man defenders, not really known for – you know, having quick feet, playing out on the perimeter. I mean, it's tough enough on a five-man these days because they're using his guy in pick-and-roll situations uh, to have two of them out there uh, the way North Carolina likes to play man-to-man and, you know, pressure and get out. Could be tough, but both are great players, and they might figure it out. <clears throat> and, um, man, he, he's the lowest ranked, but I love R.J. Davis. Okay. And you, you know who you reminded me of the first time I saw him? You're going to like this wearing your Texas shirt. Oh, Yeah is Ford, TJ, TJ Ford. Ford. I mean, wow. just fast as can be with the basketball, little guy, man, he was at the Pangos camp and this is my first time to really get familiar with him. And I'm like, man, is he tiny, but no one could guard him. <laughs> I mean, he was just running circles around guys out there. I think North Carolina fans are going to like him because he's, he's going to push that tempo Ooh. You know, Carolina has always sort of been known for, and he can score. And then Puff Johnson, the brother of Cameron Johnson, is a very, very good shooter. Shocker. I mean, just natural, can really shoot the ball. Well, now
0: I'm sort of worried about the class redundancy here because you brought up R.J. Davis as maybe a guy who could be the point guard of the future. What about Caleb Love, the number yeah. four point guard in the country? He's in this class, too. Right, I skipped him. Yeah, (laughs) We may not even have R.J. at the point. Because R.J. Davis
1: can really score. So, yeah, I I would imagine they're going to do more of a duo point guard thing, although North Carolina's typically always been just, you know, one guy uh, leading the charge at point. So that will be interesting to see how that develops. I just went to Davis because – yeah, you know, he just made such an impression on me. Maybe you're on It's though. just so fast, so quick. Well, that would work. A little different style than Caleb Love, but Caleb Love's going up. The tr- his stocks on the rise. Tremendous
0: player. The fact is, both can play either the one or the two. Are you know, we? Su- they'll yeah. figure it out. Are we surprised at all that Tennessee, a few months after Rick Barnes, I mean, even admitted that he almost took the UCLA job? Are we surprised that Tennessee lands the number four class?
1: Uh, a little yes and no, um, on the yes, it's surprising because when he didn't get off a good start recruiting at Tennessee, I remember that everyone was like, well, wow, we had this backwards. We thought when he was at Texas, he could recruit, but he couldn't coach. You know, that was kind of the dichotomy. And then it was like, all the Tennessee fans are like, wait a minute, this guy can really, really coach. He's got these three stars you know, playing basketball that's at the a high level. And, but we the, the Tennessee fan base was so mad about his recruiting. And now that's flipped, and he's getting five stars. So in that regard, yes, surprising. Um, I don't know that the UCLA thing really affected recruiting. One, it didn't drag on very long. Um, and then the other thing that's not surprising is they had connections. I mean, Jaden Springer played for Bobby Mays, his AAU program. And he was a former Tennessee vol. Keon Johnson played for an AU program uh, with a coach who was a former Tennessee vol.
0: So they had those connections and they got Corey Walker early. And we also like we don't think that college basketball recruits, especially two five stars who are probably one and done, care too much about program stability or coaches. They're not they're not making they just their want decisions that coach to be there. three their, game. You know, three I mean, they want that coach
1: to be there. Correct correct. So as long as they feel he'll be there that one year and both of these guys have a a good chance to be one and done. I, I don't think it's set in stone that they will be, you know, we'll have to see how they play, but I totally agree with you there. As long as, you know, the name of the school doesn't really matter that much like it used to. Uh, I don't think distance from home matters like it used to coaching for the top guys. Just do I trust? They don't care if he's in trouble. You know, I mean, Kansas just got Bryce Thompson a five-star and you know, with the cloud over their program. It's like, are you going to be there that one year to develop me? What does matter the most? Development. Okay. Get me ready for the NBA. It's a stepping stone. That do Does the family, the entourage, the player, do they trust the coach to maximize his draft stock? And not just his draft stock, but – maximize his readiness. You know, get them as good as you can get them, Because they know long-term, that's the deal. They all want to be drafted as high as possible, but it's about longevity, sticking in the league, being ready to play when you get there.
0: Well, Rick Barnes is a great coach to lean on for that. I mean, he's, he puts guys in the NBA. Oh, yeah. Look what he's done. Grant Williams, Schofield, those guys are doing well. It'll be interesting because Rick Barnes at Texas would frustrate fans with his ability. You mentioned it, bring in five-star after five-star after five-star and struggle really to turn that into production in March. Every once in a while, they you know make an Elite Eight run. So we'll see. North Carolina State, surprise team at number five. Got a massive commitment a few days ago from Josh Hall, four-star small forward, number 42 player in the composite. This feels like a really big class for Kevin Keats.
1: Yeah, it, right, and a pivotal class because I think most everyone thinks he can coach, high-energy guy. And, you know, you're in a tough spot at North Carolina State because look at the schools we just named. (laughs) Two of them are right by you, Duke and North Carolina. So it's not an easy spot uh, to recruit from, but he has a very good class. I mean, Cam Hayes can really score. Shaquille Moore, good point guard. Both both those guys can play point. I think Josh Hall has incredible potential. Um We'll see what what happens with that. He's got to get stronger and tougher. But man, can you know shoot the ball, handle the ball? I compared him to a Rudy Gay. That would be a max for him. But if he maxed out, he could be a Rudy Gayish type player. He has that type of game. And then they got some, you know, the two big boys inside with uh, Farrar and
0: Daona. We're we're gonna put you on the spot. We're gonna look at. So we've that's the top 5. And if you want, you know, check out more, that's 247sports.com, it's pretty easy to find. The other interesting component here with early signing day wrapping up is the best available recruits. A lot of these guys have signed. Number 1 in the class Evan Mobley, USC slam dunk. That was, you know, that happened a long time ago. You know, that was in the cards. Cade Cunningham. So we've got two, the top two guys both picked their school really based on family connections. He goes I think, that, I think that's very safe to say. Yeah. Now, Jalen Green Number three player in the class. His crystal ball is fifty-seven percent Oregon, forty-three percent Memphis. You're on Oregon, but there is a lot of pro buzz here. Yeah, and we just added that option, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, on the yeah, he ball. would be a
1: guy that I'm not sold on Oregon right now. That's where I am. I just don't know what to change it to. Uh Memphis seems to have a little momentum now. There was some talk of Jalen Green and Zara Williams wanting to play together at uh, USC, so that's out there. I would not at all, at the end of the day, be surprised if Jalen Green, you know, does the overseas thing.
0: Yeah, speaking of overseas thing, uh, Makura Maker, the number seven player in the in the composite. Yeah, we just added that pro crystal ball component, and his crystal ball is going pro. Um, you've got Zaire Williams at number five, a weird crystal ball with Stanford, USC in the mix
1: yeah people have pretty much given up on North Carolina with well, they got Puff Johnson and that kind of signal that they had kind of moved on from Zara Williams. most everyone thinks he's going to stay on the west coast.
0: number eight player in the class is Greg Brown. he's an Austin, Texas native. his crystal ball mm-hmm. is saying longhorns, but it's longhorns, but that's it's it's kind of shaky longhorns. Oh, I would say
1: you know like I think a lot of people right now think. Texas is the pick, but it could change. I mean, and a lot, Auburn, the, Kentucky, Memphis are in there. I mean, I mean that's the top four, really. Texas, Memphis, Kentucky, Auburn, and
0: so. And he's not going to decide until the spring. Jalen, right, Suggs. So there's, so there's no telling what that might that might look different this spring. The number nine player in the class is Scotty Barnes. He's going to Florida State. Ten is Jalen Suggs, a dual sports star. Yeah. Who has a crystal ball leaning Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. I and he is also told they, they told Evan or a, a source told Evan Daniels, uh, certainly wasn't them that you know the professional ranks is an option here, too. So I think so. My question for you, Jerry, is as these players start to come up and as we start to explore college options, how much of a grain of salt now are you applying to? Well, will he go to Kentucky or Stanford or? Is he just going to go pro? Like, have you found yourself? Is it harder now to really care about where he's going to school, given that year after year, these players are more likely to go overseas? Well, we'll see. It, it looks like it's <clears throat> going to trend that direction. Especially, well,
1: the LaMelo ball effect is strong right now because he's getting so much hype and shooting up <laughs> legitimate draft charts. And is playing well, and it seems to be having a positive experience. If that lasts, and he gets drafted high and looks good, RJ Hampton right. in that mix as well. It looks like things are going. At least I haven't kept up as closely with him, but I haven't heard any negative stories. And I figure if something negative's happening, it's going to be out there. Yeah, if those two have success, we could really see a, t- a trend. I believe you know the NCAA is losing its luster. Um. And a lot of people. So the deal is okay. If there's so much cheating going on, and if like, oh my goodness, you know, Arizona's in trouble, Kansas is in trouble, Auburn, you know, Louisville, all the schools that have been implicated in, in some sort of fashion. USC, who's next? What else is going to happen? Do I want that hassle? Do I want to? Do I want to be in a position uh, like Quinterly, Javon Quinterly at Alabama, where his mom's being quoted in papers about how they've been harassed by the NCAA. You know, they're going through Venmo payments from like four years ago. Like those are horror stories for the NCAA because if you're a top guy with a potential to go overseas, I don't need this headache. You know, I'll get a legit paycheck, <laughs> you know, I'll get paid or, and even if I was going to get paid, it was going to be illegally the other way. So, you know, and then we're talking about jail for these coaches. Literally, where yeah. Are they, in we are, jail. Where are they going to throw a parent in jail? <laughs> is yeah. that the next thing? You know, it's, let's just go overseas, man. Let's train, uh, get a paycheck, get a get a shoe deal, and prepare for the NBA um, a different way, and then playing college basketball.
0: I'm sort of surprised I'm saying this because a few years ago I didn't think this, but I th- I can't wait till the one and done rule ends. I my my opinion is that college basketball is suffering. This is my true opinion, that college basketball is suffering from this fleet every year of one-and-done guys who have no attachment to their school, and that's even gotten worse now because you look at recruiting rankings, and it's like, okay, yeah, he could go to Florida State, but he's also probably going to go overseas, and I think you're seeing a general sense of apathy set in with fans on a national and even a team site level. I, I don't
1: necessarily disagree with you. You make a good point there. I I don't necessarily sit where you sit on that point, but what you said makes sense. I do get a sense that some luster's been lost. Now, here's how it affects me, and this might, be, uh, this might be a part of it. Those opening games stunk. Right. <laughs> and I know all those – it's exciting. Okay, here come all the high-ranked freshmen. But the basketball was pathetic. So, you know – Maybe we're going to come to the same point eventually because I'm watching that. I'm like, this is a waste of my time. You know, that, that was horrible basketball to watch. And so maybe we'd be better off if, if it was some all sophomores and juniors, you know, who were four star, three star, who had a cohesion. You know, there's more of a team chemistry and they're playing better basketball because obviously you don't have to be have five stars or even four stars to win. Look at what Evansville. Yeah. Dick and t- Kentucky, look how Kentucky looked in their uh, Utah Valley. Yeah. And there, of course, there's been some other upsets. There are a lot of good basketball players in this country. So maybe the cream of the crop, just they need to go professional and get more of a traditional college look, you know, with cohesion from year to year. I, th-
0: I think that's becoming a more compelling argument. You know, before we move on, we're going to talk about load management. I have to say something. I, last year, when Zion's shoe blew out and he was injured, <laughs> I can't believe now that he came back. Think, I, and I was thinking about this with with the injury to Alabama quarterback Tua Tungo-Vailoa. Mm-hmm. and I just like, do we recognize how great Zion was? in hindsight, because, like, that guy had no business coming back to college basketball. So as we well, talk he, about these one-and-guns the, who don't care. He likes
1: to play basketball. You know, that that's where I would hate to see us go. And, like, a lot of fans think in this mentality, because you always hear it, like and, – and some of it's uh, justifiably so because of the f- football players skipping bowl games. I think that really got – made people start yeah. thinking this way. You know, like, I think there was a shift uh, in the thinking, but – these guys want to play basketball they want to be basketball players but I'd hate it if we came to the day and we're kind of moving that way you know some guys decided not to play college basketball and they're going to train at IMG Academy for a year I'm um, Kenyon Martin's kid who mm-hmm. didn't come to Vanderbilt that's just a little odd to me a little weird I hope we don't go that direction but um, yeah kudos to Zion because people were questioning him cause yeah because he, he didn't come back that game they're like what's his family doing there well he's freaking out <laughs> He just blew a shoe up. (laughs) None of us have had that experience. I've blown a tire on my car, and it was very frightening. It might even be worse to blow a tennis shoe out, you know, if you got millions looking at you the next year. But, um, yeah, he came back and had a good season, didn't he?
0: So that's kind of a good segue into load management, which is a hot topic in the NBA right now. And this is something you said you wanted to talk about. And I'm going to guess that it's, in your opinion – maybe starting at the grassroots level as far as are these players just overexposed, playing too much, putting too much wear and tear on their bodies to the point where when they get to college basketball and then, of course, the NBA, it only makes sense to take things a little bit easier.
1: I did want to talk about this. I have a quick take. It's not quite that. It's not <laughs> that? Okay. It, it's it not, No, not quite. I was I was a little upset when I saw the LeBron quote. Where he said coaches don't give a crap, AU coaches don't. I, that really kind of shocked me because he kind of is a AU coach for one. I mean, if he ain't officially the coach, he's standing right there by the coach and the kids are looking at him and he's doing a lot of coaching. I mean, I didn't, I didn't quite get it. Uh, I would love to hear him flesh that out more because, like, for example, Bronny plays in the Nike UYBL, and, like, they have rules. Like, you only play – you can't play more than two games a day. Now, I don't know what other ancillary tournaments they are playing in. I know back in the day when I start, you know, I've been doing this 16 years. The the shift began, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So at the beginning, like maybe the first five, six, seven or so years of my scouting, there would be some crazy tournaments because they were bracket tournaments. Mm -hmm. All the tournaments on the, so you had a weekend and you're trying to get a champion. So you do pool play, and then when they get in bracket play, like on that Saturday, you might play four or five games. And then you'd have to wake up Sunday, and let's say four. Very likely could be four, at least three, you know, if you're winning. How hard are they going in these games? Hard enough to win because it's bracket. So, yeah, coach, a lot of 2-3 zone. Cutting down the games really helped from a scouting perspective. And I think a developmental – these kids don't need to be sitting in a zone. Learn to play man-to-man. You can always – then. It's a lot easier to go from being a man-to-man trained player to a zone player than vice versa. You know, it's almost comical to think about it. But back then, yeah, and then on Sunday, I mean, it's an early Sunday game. That's when you always see hungover coaches getting kicked out of games. <laughs> we always laughed about that. You know, that 7.30 or 8 o'clock game was a killer. Kicked out for being too hungover? Oh, yeah, you know, because they're irritable. They're oh, yelling yeah. at the refs. They're, oh, there's Every Sunday morning, a yeah. coach got kicked out. And they want to win. They're in the quarterfinals. Because typically you'd have to play three games and get it over with in time to catch the airplane that afternoon. So that's a lot of games. So in three days, easily, if your team wins it, like the old Kingwood Classic was an example of this type of tournament. Uh, The Tournament of Champions used to be this way uh, in the North Carolina Triangle. Easily you could play eight games. All right, so let me get to my point. It's changed now. That's why I didn't get – like, they're playing less. I think that coaches do care. There's some uh, – AAU coaches are just the easiest thing, you know, to crap on. It's very you, easy. Yeah. They have no representation. We all just – it's so easy to view them as this street hustling pimps. I. That's how I view them. Yeah, and, and that's it, it should not be that way. And typically – I mean, there's some, but it's a minority. Look at how good these players are getting, you know. They're getting coached. And you go to a Nike tournament, and you're like, wow, now that's top level – but that's the kids you would pimp. I mean, the mom and paw team, who are you gonna, who are you getting making money off of? I, it's a real misconstrued thing. You know, Kobe kind of started it uh, with his comments. So, I do think we have a load management problem, but I, the problem is this, specialization. I don't think the kids are necessarily playing too much in one day. But they're only playing basketball Every day. No one's playing two sports. No one's playing three sports. And I think that is really what's causing the problem. I think that's causing the greatest wear and tear on players is uh, – that's all they're doing is playing basketball. You know, they've become a Ottoman future professional basketball player at the age of 11 or 12. And they're not, they're not out playing ba- – you know, they're not playing other sports, whatever that other sport might be. Um, I think – I think that has a lot to do with the wear and tear injuries because
0: the body is just doing the same thing over and over all the time. So in football, it's a really big positive. Now our football scouts love when you have played multiple sports. Yeah, they I, I like love that too. That I it, bet especially in football. But um, but in basketball, it's yeah. You only see you really just see the guys just playing basketball. If there was another sport you would love for them to play, what would it be soccer? Cause you want I, them I to develop other care. skills, right, Jerry? It's not just yeah. I, I you're just mean, too you know, much time I like in soccer,
1: so, and soccer is a great soccer would be great, man. Spatial awareness, you know, a lot of movements. There, you can draw parallels. Being in shape, running, but you know, baseball, hand-eye coordination, being a great pitcher. I mean, the mental game of being a pitcher. Baseball has a different mentality. The, the pressure of coming up to bat. Be a golfer, play chess, football whatever, um, you're learning to compete in a different venue. And I think it broadens your leadership abilities. I think it takes you outside of your simple, comfortable box to have to play a different sport. I think it, it challenged you to make the transition between sports. You know, like I watched Chris Lofton play the great shooter from Tennessee, um, in high school. And he was a f- great football wide receiver. And he, I think it made him different. He had a toughness to him, a confidence, a physicality. You know, this would be a benefit of playing football for basketball players. And he looked like garbage. <laughs> it was like his first game back uh, from the football season. But, you know, I knew that. You know, you do the math, know the context. But I looked – and he handled disappointment. You know, I think as a football player he'd been used to get like getting knocked on his butt and getting back up, you know, drop you get what I'm saying? Like there's a he had a different level of maturity. And he was missing shots. You could tell he didn't have his legs for basketball. He's missing short. Didn't phase him. I saw a real maturity. And then once he got going, you know, once he got his basketball shape, but to have to go through that, that suffering, so sort to of speak, <laughs> you know, that struggle to make a transition between sports, I think that could be really
0: healthy for a player. Did you when you were coming up, I have two questions, I guess. Hmm? Obviously you're a great college basketball player. Did you what, what was what was the equivalent of AAU back then? Like did you have tournaments we where had, you played?
1: We had, we had r- real AAU. It was actually the Athletic Amateur Union and you had basically you played a district tournament. Uh, or region, I can't remember what we called it. And then you went to a state, and then southeast region, if you're in the southeast, and then a national. And that was basically it. You didn't have people putting on tournaments. And now that's part of the load management thing, because let's go back to the LeBron and Bronny thing. I I don't know what that team does outside their Nike schedule. You know, Nike schedule basically like three or four tournaments that year for them. So I'm sure they're doing other stuff, you know. So maybe that's an issue, but yeah, to play one sport year round, I I think we're finding out that that may not be the most healthy thing. Yeah, get out there and specialize,
0: or not, I'm or despecialize, despecialize, <laughs>
1: specialize in multiple sports. At least get another one in there. I think. Did you play other sports? Yeah, I played baseball. Yeah. One year of football. That didn't that didn't go so great.
0: I'm racking my brain trying to think of. NBA All Stars from like the collegiate level who I remember having also played other sports and it's 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 not coming to me. I can't think. Well, we probably just don't know. Like like what do you mean? Like I'm trying to think of like like Kevin Durant obviously didn't play other sports. Yeah, but he's he's in this modern
1: era is where right. I would place him. Yeah. Um, Danny Ainge did. <laughs> we know that for oh, a yeah. fact. He had, he played professionally two sports. I, I would I would argue that most of the guys, in say, uh, guys in Generation X,
0: uh-huh.
1: I would I would venture to say most of them played at least two sports.
0: Well, as we come full circle, we'll see how it benefits Jalen Suggs, the number ten player. In the twenty-four seven. Well, it's already
1: benefiting him because he's tough as nails yeah. <laughs> on the basketball court, and you do not want to guard this guy because he plays basketball
0: with a football type physicality. Well, this class is kind of interesting because there are a few uh, multi-sport stars here. We have Malachi Weidman. Uh, he's a superstar football, right, uh, and a commit. very good basketball player. Yeah, too. he's a he's yeah, four yeah. I'm star not receiver. saying they're non-existent. Right. No,
1: I just uh, right. I, 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 there's some great examples of guys playing both. But basically what I'm saying is when I hear, oh, they're playing – like there was some crazy stuff on Twitter about playing 12, 15 games a weekend. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that. Like I don't even remember that back when I was – the Wild Wild West days when they were playing a lot of games. It just seems over the top. I don't think think that's the issue. I think it's just all they do is 365 is just play the same sport. That's more – if we want to talk about load management – that's what concerns me.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Jerry, thanks for joining yep. us. And we're going to try to get in uh, something in the next week or two um, before Thanksgiving hits and maybe preview Maui and all those other fun uh, kind of tournaments this time of year and get into some college basketball talk, too. But if you have any questions about early signing period, check out our website, 247sports.com. Got you covered there as the period wraps up. And then, of course, any any other questions, hit Jerry Meyer up on Twitter, at jerrymeyer247. He loves to sort of riff with the yeah. fans and get into I, I, lo- it I love himself. discussions. Yeah. All right, that'll do it.